It's me, Arden. I hope you little bunnies are doing okay out there. I know it was another week with no main episode. Thankfully, we have got you covered. And if you guys are really jonesing, HBO Max right now is airing Bachelor in Paradise Australia Season 1, which in my opinion is the greatest season of The Bachelor I have ever watched. And uh, we did it on Patreon with Brian Sofi. If you go on our Patreon page, um, it's down at the – it was like one of the very first episodes we ever recorded. It's the very first episode with it is called Riding the Bipolar High with Brian Sofi in 2017. So just – Go if you if you're interested and you're like Arden, I need to be watching a narrative because Bachelorette is now not coming out till mid October. And if you're jonesing, you can join our Patreon. You can go on Bachelor in Paradise Australia season one. You can listen along. And plus, we're still doing new things. We're still doing Bachelor in Paradise. Uh, sorry, Bachelorette New Zealand. We're doing uh, Real Housewives of New York. So we're doing six episodes a month of new content, and then there's all the old archives. And I got to tell you, the Bachelor in Paradise Australia one is fantastic. Um, we have another episode of Feeling Thorny. And I really appreciate everything that you guys have been reaching out with. And I just wanted to say uh, we're going to be back next week with a new episode. We're going to be breaking down the Nick Vial Bachelor Best of Season with your boy, Jerry Trainer and uh, your new fave, Miles Gray. And we have Allison Rosen joining us. So that'll be really fun. And in the meantime, I'm going to read two emails and some of the reviews if you want to. And you guys, thank you so much. Everybody who's been ordering the book, um, it comes out. It'll be almost a month from today. It comes out September 29th. And my goal is if I get on the New York Times bestseller list, I'm going to throw a show in my mom's yard in Rhode Island. I'm going to make my brother let me do it. And I still have that offer that we uh, I paired up with um, Premier Collectibles where you can get the hardcover book and you can get a signed book plate and you can get a Little Miss Compton canvas tote all for the price of just the book. Uh, it's the first 250 people who order get that and then the second 250 just get the signed book plate. And then I have another special exciting thing I'm going to tell you at the end of this. So here's some fun emails we got. Um, this is from Nicole Riche and it's Houston's and a long lost hello. Dear Arden, Hi, I've been meaning to write you an email forever, like over a year, but what prompted me to finally do it is because I have a mutual shared love for Houston's. I used to live in Boston. I went to the Houston's and Fannel Hall all the time. They've since closed it, which is heartbreaking, but man, it was a good time. I'm not sure you remember me, but we've actually met a few times before. Back in the 1999-2000, I was a casting assistant in LA, and I worked for Mally Finn. Mally adored you, and you were always on her list. Yeah, Mally Finn. Yes, Mally Finn. You came into the office several times for auditions. I met mentioned you to a friend of mine, Andrew Mudge, and um, you were always so nice, and I followed your career, and of course, Insatiable. I absolutely love your podcast. I've been listening to it for a few years. It brings me a lot of joy. It makes me laugh so much. Whether you're talking about the Bachelor franchise or life in general, it is fantastic. Thank you for being so open about your life. And it's a blast to hear someone I kind of know. I know quarantine has been rough for everyone, but you've been really a bright spot for me. Thank you for your honesty and humor. I just wanted to say you're doing a great job and I'm always rooting for you. I follow you on Instagram. I love your posts, especially dancing in the kitchen after getting highlights. Can't wait to keep listening. I'm halfway through the episode with wells and it's a lot of fun i hope you're well have a nice night and thank you for being so fabulous sincerely nicole richie nicole i just wanted to say and to all of our fans that email in truly it means so much to me it's so like i love this i loved mally finn i love like i feel like we're all in this together i mean look as you know from listening to me this is a freaking journey and it takes a village. And even if it's like an audio virtual village, you guys are the sweetest, sweetest group of people around. And I have felt all of your support personally over the last few years. And I hope you feel my support now because I, I've made it through some crazy ass things. And I'm just telling you this, this at some point in time, we will get through this. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. And it may not be your best year ever, but you don't need to make it your worst. It's okay. You can still have a little bright spot. Here's one more email that's made me laugh so hard. 
This is called the subject is Mesnick and the past and the passion bucket. Rebecca Germano emailed us and she says, I recently, hi Arden, Katie, Tana, and the rest of the really except the Swords crew. I recently listened to your fabulous rookie tribute episode recapping the Jason Mesnick goat three hour slog. No shit. That, these are long, man. The new rookie crew was on fire, but the discussion as to whether or not Jason Mesnick was attractive reminded me of a time in 2010 when I was suffering through working at the Gap. Let's not get into that. In a Seattle suburb. My coworker started freaking out because The Bachelor was in the store, not having watched the show at the time. I was shocked when I saw him. As you discussed, he was one, short, but two, he seemed to be exuding no sexual energy. So I was really confused as to why my female coworkers were all a Twitter. Given that Arden once proclaimed herself the chief eunuch inspector, which I don't remember, but is incredible. She probably would have a better read on the situation, but I thought I would share those first impressions. During the episode, I kept waiting for Arden to bring up one of the best Tweet of the Weeks ever, which happened on the Ari finale episode. After Chris Harrison said it looked like Jason's passion bucket is full, the hero listener tweeted, passion bucket is what Jason calls his wife's asshole. (laughs) Ah, so good. I re-listened to that episode of your podcast to confirm I was remembering correctly, and I ended up bursting out laughing again numerous times. It's so, so freaking funny. And if my voice wasn't burned out from doing 88 podcasts today... It would sound like a heartier laugh. It's so funny to me. Paget and Aaron are amazing, as well as Arden, Katie, and Tana. And the last thing Aaron said on the podcast was, you know I like a good low-hanging ball on my clavicle. Now, whenever Jason is brought up on your show or your podcast, I immediately think of Passion Bucket and The Gap. You and your friends and the Will Except This Rose crew are a truly a goddamn delight, and the merry shit show you put out is a joy. The humor in it, in the words of the new rookie trio, makes me feel seen and heard and representation matters. I cannot wait to receive my copy of Little Miss Little Compton and please keep up the Lord's work. This world of ding-dongs needs it, Rebecca. Also, I would again, once again, like to shamelessly nominate myself for the listener episode that you have been teasing. Okay, you guys, it is next week. This is it. You guys officially have two days to email us, okay? So this is coming out on Friday. We're going to decide on Sunday Whatever the next rookie episode is, we're going to have three guest fan fan co-hosts that are going to zoom in and do the podcast with us. So if you want to nominate yourself for a friend, because people have been doing it, you've got two more days to do it, okay? Um, also, I got to tell you, I asked you shamelessly, we're trying to get over a thousand likes on iTunes. I know it's dumb. It shouldn't matter. I agree with you. Sadly, people seem to care about it. So um, here's the deal. You have been doing it and we, we appreciate it. And all of the like like numbers are going up and all the review numbers are going up. So like that is awesome. And so if you have it in you, just go, just go click, go click, Go, preferably a five-star review. That's awesome. Go click the review thing. And if you want to leave a, an actual review, mwah, chef's kiss. They're so good. Here we go. So here's a review. We only got one actual review. So if you want to be read, it's a pretty guaranteed thing that you're going to be read if you leave us an actual review this week. Five stars. Lori is my queen by Stay at Home Dog Mom 2020. This podcast is single-handedly getting me through the pandemic. Arden and her takes on the Bachelor franchise are the laughs that keep me from crying during this roller coaster of a year. Yes, honey. That's what we're here for. Although we have come to realize that we have little control over anything during this dumpster fire every year, this podcast is one of the few things that bring a small amount of consistency and routine to my week. I find myself laughing out loud to her and her co-host's response, and I'm always in awe of Lori's supreme historical knowledge of Bachelor Nation. This podcast is a gem of a show, has protected my heart during troubled times, and will always have my rose... Stay at Home Dog Mom 2020. That is a beautiful podcast uh, review. Thank you so much. Um, so here we are. Here we are. I'm going to give you an intro and I'm going I'm to leave you with one final exciting thing that's coming up. 
We've been doing the in-depth, intimate feeling thornies where we get to know people. And this was inspired by me writing my book, Little Miss Little Compton, which comes out in a month. Um, so we've done one with Rob Benedict. We did one with um, the star of Wrong Missy and Orange is the New Black, Lauren Lapkus. We did one with Wells Adams um, from the Bachelor franchise. And I'm really excited. This one was I I was so excited to sit down with this person. Um, I don't I was on this show on Netflix called Insatiable for the last two seasons and it was the first time that I had a female showrunner. It was created by a woman. Um, most of the directors were either women or gay men. Um, we had mostly female producers and it was such a pleasure. It was so inspiring. I loved this woman so much. Um, I talked to today our creator and our showrunner and the brilliant writer, Lauren Gussis. And she wrote on Dexter, I think for the entire run that it was on, for like for like five, six, seven years. I mean, she's a terrific writer and she's brave and she's fearless and she was a fun boss. And she unapologetically was a woman in charge in a way that was like a joy to witness and fun to work for. I always wanted to do a good job for her. And I always felt free and accepted enough to take chances and take risks. And I felt like if she picked you, she thought you were talented and she let you do your thing. And so, you know, as a writer myself, um, it was really fun for me to sit down and pick the brain of somebody that, you know, I get nervous when I pitch things. I can tend to doubt myself. I get my little weirdo social anxiety. And to talk to somebody that seemingly so effortlessly has just shown up for herself. And so I'm so excited for you guys to hear this. And so much of me talking. But here's the final thing. I'm really excited about this. But um, we're doing kind of like a virtual book party, like a book release party, like a show. And it's the same place that we did the live um, draft picks, the Dynasty Typewriter, which is such a cool theater. And they're doing all these virtual shows. And so that means you can, from any time zone, you can come to the show. And what's cool about it is it's $5. So, you know, you don't have to fly in. You don't have to get a hotel. Like, and even if it wasn't like COVID times, you know, this is a $5 commitment. And even if you're not available, the link is good for a full week afterwards. You can watch it. Um, so we're doing our show. It's going to be me and Lauren Lapkus. It's a book party. I'm going to do, um, and it's before the book comes out, like the weekend before. It's, um, Saturday, September 26th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, and it's going to be me and Lauren Lopkis. People can email in any questions. And you can order a book through there where you can get a customized book plate. So if you want to give it as a gift to somebody and you want it written out to them, or if there's a certain, like if you want it written out to yourself, you can get if you buy it, if you order the book through, you don't have to get a book. You can just come for the show. But Skylight Books, which is a super cool bookstore in Los Angeles, is partnering with it. And you can get the book with a special, like, custom message, which is kind of fun. And so this is my book release party. And I hope you guys will come. I'm sure we'll talk some Bachelor stuff. So that is um, September 26th at 5 p.m. So much talking. Okay. We'll be back next week and breaking down. Um, Nick Vial season with the rookie. All right, you guys. Have a good time. I'm sorry I chewed your ear off. I hope you guys are all doing okay. I hope you're all hanging in there. I hope everybody with kids and is back to school and is still at home or not at home or, feel, if you know, if you have any sick loved ones or you're not doing well, like, just know that your little friend Arden is just, I'm sending you lots of love and I'm thinking about you and I know everybody's doing the best that they can and um, I appreciate your time and your well wishes. Okay, bye. Welcome to Will You Accept This Rose, a production of iHeartRadio. <laughs> you know what time it is. It's time for Arden to get a little close. And a little thorny. Oh, well, Arden's gonna go one-on-one. Gonna be high-energy fun. Convos are gonna be super real. She wants to get with you and all the feels. Feeling thorny, yeah, feeling thorny, whoa. Feeling thorny, feeling thorny. 
ring, yeah! <laughs> Feeling thorny. Oh, yeah. oh my god, you probably never heard this song! I'm an idiot! Oh my god, I made this song. Uh, will you accept me inviting you to my podcast? And making you a little... I'm gonna get closer. Oh my god. Can you make this song? Yeah, I commissioned it. I had a vision. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's insane, right? Oh my god! Oh my god! Ready? This is gonna hold the whole. Oh my god! Thank you so much! Oh my god! Welcome to a very special bonus podcast of We Accept This Rose. We are in our offshoot, feeling thorny. Okay, my friend who is here has never heard that song, and the look on her face—what? Like I felt like I just gave you the a gift. It, it was like. Half joy and half wild discomfort. That's exactly right. Well, when I had a vision for this, uh, just a little backstory on this podcast. I'd never watch. I didn't watch much reality TV. I'd never watched The Bachelor or anything. And like four years ago, I somebody made me watch it, and I was like, I am not a garbage person. I have like better things to do. Who made you watch it? Uh, Dan Martin. Someone. (laughs) And um, and I watched it, and I was like. Oh my god! Like I don't watch sports or anything, but I became obsessed with like the gaming of it. And then I saw on Twitter that all of my favorite people, like the, all these funny people, watch it. And I was so I had this fever dream on a mountain in Vermont, New Year's Eve, like sledding one year. And I was like, I need to make a podcast right. so I can talk about it with people. And I felt like I finally had a hobby for the first time in my life. And so I commissioned, I hired Mark Rivers, this genius who writes for like Adult Swim and stuff. I was like, I need you to write me a song that feels like Barry White slash like a homeless man has jumped out of a bush and like breathed on your neck and jizzed on your feet <laughs> and i feel like he executed he that it. he nailed it he nailed it um <laughs> you are hearing the voice of a person and part of the reason i'm expanding the podcast right now um is outside of the bachelor franchise is that i am a person with social anxiety who built this podcast and I thought it was just going to be me sort of joking around about The Bachelor. And what I found is as a nervous, awkward human who seems outgoing but is actually like a super freak, I've been able to get to know people and I've had so much fun and it's been so good for me as a human being that I started taking more chances in life and eventually I sold a book Right, and um, this is leading up to my book. You can pre-order now on Amazon, Little Miss Little Compton, but um, it's, it's sort of I wanted to bring people in and a lot of my book is dealing with... Um, you know, my parents married on a dare. They weren't dating and they weren't, you know, they were never a couple and they stayed married for 50 years. <laughs> and um, so my roadmap was a little bit off. And so I wanted to bring people in who I respect and I admire and who I feel like live their lives very authentically and who might have also had sort of quirky roadmaps and just talk to them about themselves. So here with me today, a long introduction. Um, as you know, I talk about it all the time. I'm on this show Insatiable on Netflix, which is my Yay. favorite job I've ever had. And I probably, you've all, I talk about you actually a lot in the book, but um, wow. I, I know I really, I've never been on a show. Um, I've never been on a show run by women or a woman. Um, I've, and I've just to, you know, they always say like, you can't, it's hard to be it if you can't see it. And just like watching you navigate birthing the show, defending the show, and then being the joy, like the captain of the show with, in my perspective, with like a strong, but light touch, like it's yours, but it's, I feel like people have room to play. Um, and I just want to bring you on our creator, our showrunner, Lauren Gusses. Thank you. That's so nice of you. Thank you. It's true. Um, I feel like our show really has a lot of like just the seeds of the creation of it are, it feels like you gave your voice to your inner teenager, like my inner, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like my inner shame sort of like the shadow self. And I, I don't know there's a lot of stuff in the show that I felt like when I say shadow self now in this day and age, then I have to qualify that by saying it's things that probably I shouldn't have had shame about, right. but did. Like what? Like the LGBTQ stuff. Right. Like clearly there's no shadow right. of that. 
But like, the shadow self was the part of me that felt like I needed to keep that in the shadow. Well, I can also say for me growing up, you know, when I think about a lot of my friends who didn't come out till after college, like right. no one was out. There was no, right. there was not one person out in my high school. There, there was, was one person in my high school and I think they came out the year after I left. A guy or a girl? Guy. How, guy. Did, how did people treat him? I think fine. I think it was like not a secret. Right. So right. people were fine. Yeah. But I can't tell you like most of my close group of friends came out including my boyfriend by the way yeah came out in some way or another yeah after we left it's an interesting thing just talking about shame when I think about you know like when I when I wrote the proposal for my book Uh um a lot of it I think I think it was more negative like I had my my dad was tough growing up and and like on the one hand, a lot of my family was really fun, but like my dad was pretty nasty, and I think I had so much like shame was such a huge part of my identity. I think I still struggle with it. Mm-hmm. It's sort of my default. If I'm tired, if I'm not checking in with people, like it, it just washes over me. My, I recently, literally recently, meeting in the last probably thirty six hours, had a therapist tell me that my relationship to shame, like shame is a whole mansion yeah. in my life. Like, it's a mansion. And she said, you need to make it a closet. And I wow. said, perhaps not the best analogy, considering my history. <laughs> yeah, and she literally was like, she goes, if I was closer to you, I would poke you with my foot. But yeah. let, let's make it a condo instead of a giant mansion. Yeah, you get a like, duplex, yeah. a duplex. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I honestly think, and then, because, I mean, not to be super dark, but like, just, and I don't believe in accident. So like, literally, I've been trying to sell this book for years. And the day that the offer came in was the day of my mom's funeral um oh my god which is so crazy they were like hope you're having a great week oh, it's like no. not really <laughs> but Wait, do you say that though because that's the thing we, I, i'm sorry yeah, to no, you, you can until you say anything but i was recently having a conversation with somebody about that like the social norm of when someone says how are you you don't really you're not really supposed to answer and yeah, how no. awkward it is yes. when something's really going on so did you actually say I'm not great. You know what? When she emailed me, and I think I was like dry. I think I was getting driven to her funeral. And I, um, and I, it's funny that you should say that like so much of like you want to spare people. Like you don't want to like do it to them, you know, like they can catch it, you know? And so I was like, oh my God, so excited to work with you. Side note, funny thing you should (laughs) mention, not the greatest week. Um, uh, you know, like my mom actually just died suddenly. And, but I will say one of the gifts of that, I feel like the book in a weird way became more glass half full and more about her. Like she was the sort of sunshine and my dad was like the shadows and shame. Right. Um, but that has been, it's interesting. Shame is not something, I don't think I've ever publicly talked about shame. Like, yeah. but it's something that I like, they say like guilt is so you feel like you've done something wrong, but shame is like you feel like who you are is wrong. Right. And I truly felt like right. for years. Yeah. Where did you get the message? Like, did you have a tough, like, I know very clearly where mine came from. Like, do you have a clear person of shame or clear? I was bullied as a kid and everybody does the best they can. That's right. right. Uh, and the response a lot of the time was like, well, what did you do? Right. Right. And nothing. Right. Nothing. Right. Like. My seven best friends dumped me two weeks before my bat mitzvah when I was 12. Like, what did I do wrong? Like, I wasn't cool. The boys didn't like me. Isn't that just the worst thing? And, like, I didn't know who to – I mean, it was really – so even just the question of, like, what did did you do? do? Yeah, you're, like – Kind of ingrained in me that, like, I was the bad guy. Yeah. And I think that I've, frankly, like, sought out relationships repeatedly. Yes. Not on purpose, obviously, where, like, I end up being the bad guy. Right. Or I feel like the bad guy. It's a very comfortable place for me to be. It's so interesting how hard it is to break that. Like, that's one of the things I talk about is, like, if I – like, what I wish I knew is – not necessarily – I would go in, I would be, like, like just thinking friends – mostly female friends but then sometimes in dating that like i i would have like fixer upper like if i could just cheerlead somebody the best Mm -hmm. then like if they felt okay about themselves then like we would be okay yeah and you just do it again and you watch these paths about yourself yeah it's hard to put down like it's hard when you even when you start to see it it's hard to like you're aware that you're doing it so like so now now what do i do like how do i stop doing that right um how did your parents meet Oh, my God. <laughs> my parents yeah. went to high school together. Okay. And 
my dad sat behind my mom and apparently had a crush on her like the entire time they were in high school my mom was cool i'm good um he had a crush on her the entire time they were in high school my mom was cool my dad was not cool at all okay and uh like she didn't know she was he was alive like she was a cheerleader and yeah. he was like a mathlete like that yes. it was classic like john right. hughes yes. ridiculousness and then they my mom originally went to the university of iowa um, and then ended up transferring out to go to the University of Illinois because of um, some, uh, A, because she felt like she lived too close to her grandmother and that her grandmother was up in her business. Yeah, B, because there was some scandal that I won't talk about. Okay, great. I love it. I love it. I love a family scandal. It was a family scandal. <laughs> and uh, she ended up going to the University of Illinois with my dad. And I think she dated his roommate or okay. maybe both of his roommates. Yeah, she did. And that didn't work out. Yeah. And then I think they were, to, they were at a bar one night and she's like, I know you. Yes. And then they ended up together. Yes. Yeah. I love it. It was like last man standing. But he, <laughs> yeah, like he was like, it's a win. Oh my, because, he like, couldn't she believe dated it. a lot of like bad guys. Yes. Know, not bad guys, but just like my dad was so nice to her. Yeah. He's like a good guy. Okay. I don't mean to even be like, I, I mean... I will say it's now that I've watched numerous seasons of The Bachelor and I've watched different franchises of it because I have a yeah. podcast. What's fascinating, and Anna can attest to this because we've watched Australia, we've watched England, literally human nature every time. Whoever is like the nice, responsible, like I'm, I'm a sure thing. I will treat you well. I will not try to fuck your friends. They never pick that one. Like it's right. always the final two. The one the fa- if your family likes them, they'll always pick the other one. The one right. that will give you herpes. So, yeah, like well, you know, one in four. Yeah, let's not judge. Yeah, but like it's truly like <laughs> it's it's truly like 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 human nature yeah, does yeah. not want the kind sure thing. Like no, always. No. It's fascinating. It's fascinating across the globe. It's like never did they pick the right one. Yeah. Um, and I one of the things that's interesting just knowing you know. Like when I see, I know that growing up with some shame and some shadowy stuff, like you to me as a creator and that you, I think more than any showrunner I've ever worked with, like you know who you are, you know what your point of view is, you're, you own it in a way that is unapologetic and, and not people pleasy and like, but graceful. Like, how did you go from being like, I got dumped from seven friends, something's wrong with me, to being like, how did that person? Oh, no, I still think that something's wrong with me. Okay. I have, the thing is that I deflect it. So I feel like I'm very good in a crowded room. Yeah. Right? So if I can write the thing and put it out into the universe, then it's somehow farther away from me yeah so I can really be clear about my point of view and what my work is because I've it, like it's public and I get the, the bravado part of it makes it easier for me interesting and I think I learned that my mom has so much bravado like she's abroad yeah you she know? is so, I've met your mom yeah so like she's a party yes yeah, and, and so I'm I kind of learned that like oh like if I can be on if I can be the party then people are entertained by me and it's okay and then if in my private life that's when I'm like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. I shouldn't have said that thing. Right. I go over and over in my head, like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe right. I shouldn't have done that. Nobody wants to spend, like, I don't like to make plans with people more than one time in a week because I think they're going to get sick of me. Me too. Like, <laughs> like I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I just, it's that. So I, I still built, have I, all I, I built a podcast so I can hang out with people. Yeah. <laughs> so I get very uncomfortable and socially, especially if I don't have a, an, if I have an introduction, I can usually make conversation. But, yeah. like, I'm never somebody that could walk up to somebody in a bar. Like, it's oh. just... You know, my husband was the president of his class. Like, he's very good at being social. So sometimes I actually have to pretend like I'm him when I'm in a room by myself. Like, That's what would nice. Mike, what would Mike do? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think also you have a certain amount of clout in a leadership position, which means yeah. I know people have to listen to me. Yeah. So then the anxiety goes away a little bit because I don't feel like I have to prove that I'm okay. Right. Like, I've already been told I'm okay because I'm the boss. So the part that gets, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying this to you, but I the, love this. The part that gets wonky for me then is like, well, then is everybody being nice to me because I'm the boss? Yeah. Like everything nice that you've just said to me, it's like, yeah, but I, you work for me. So no, like, but, but you, know you know that you know that that's uh, well, true. Well, with you, I kind of no, you believe no, me. I believe you, but yeah. most, but like a lot of the time, I, I check myself and then I go into that place of being 12 where I'm like, yeah. Well, yeah, it's because now I like being the boss is kind of the equivalent of being the queen bee. Yeah. Like it's a little bit like you're being you're popular. 
but it's because someone's paying you to be popular. And so it's just like, it's a different thing. The dynamic gets harder. But if I'm in a room full of people where that's not my position or nobody knows, yeah, then I'm like, oh, right back to like, I'm a piece of shit again. The Eagle has landed. Was Dexter your first TV? No. What was your first TV gig? Where I was actually paid to be a writer? Yeah. It was a show on NBC called E-Ring. It was about the Pentagon. And I'm like, I don't... It, it was I heard earring and I thought of like like that birth control that people have like sewn into their hips. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was very it was a very confusing title, which may have been why the show didn't do so well. Okay, um, but yes, it was about the E ring as opposed to D ring or C ring. Okay, of the Pentagon. How old were you? Twenty seven. How did you like like what? Where did you go after college? Where did you go to college? And like how did what got you to that first job? I'm fascinated by like the trajectory story. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Uh, I went to Northwestern. Yeah. because I was you know. Uh, only child of Jewish parents who like desperately didn't want me to leave Chicago and I was too scared on some level to go. How far away were there from your dorm? 20 minutes. Too close. Too close. Way too close. I was like scared that I was going to run into them at dinner at any Horrible. time. Because also yeah. my parents are foodies so they would have driven from Deerfield to Evanston to go sure. eat. So like at any moment I could have run into them. Now the good news about that is that my parents hosted for all the Jewish holidays so yeah. all my friends knew my childhood home and my college friends got to know my high school friends which yeah. is really lovely. That's nice. But also like... I didn't really – I was a late bloomer because I didn't really do all the crazy rebellious teenage shit until I was in my 20s and I moved out to L.A. That's and I, interesting. like, really went hard. I like, like that. From 22 to 27, I was a catastrophe. What flavor catastrophe? All of them. What was your – what was the most fun, naughty year? I had a fun, naughty year when I was 19 in Chicago. I think. I made out with everybody and gained 30 pounds in alcohol and, and, and burritos. Yeah. I had the best time. <laughs> my, the 24 to 27 years. Yeah. But like it really was like circling the drain when I met my, met my husband. Yeah, like yeah, I was yeah. really like, I was making out with everybody. It's so but fun. I, I don't know. My 24th birthday, I got dared to make out with 10 people and I did it. That's So it kind of like vast. that started the thing. I love that. That I was like in the bar. And yeah. Like 10 people in the same bar. I and then love that. Somebody tapped me on the shoulder while I was mid makeout with someone. It was yeah. like, weren't you making out with that guy before? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. There. It's my birthday. And then I went back to making out with the other. Like, I mean, I was a disaster. That's really fun. It was super fun. But it's like kissing. It's like, who yeah. cares? No, like, you're I, not going to get pregnant. You're no, not going to no. get a disease. It's like, great. I, I was all it. about keep it above the waist, maybe a fun dry hump. We make yeah. out in the doorway. It's yeah. It's great. It was the best. Um, so that was fun. But I really, like, I. I started to maybe behave less ethically as I approached 27. Yeah. And uh, my husband kind of swooped in, like, at exactly that moment to be like, I'm going to be the one. God, I didn't know you guys have been together since you were 27. That's interesting. 14 years. Wow. That's great. 14 years on October 14th. Um, Lauren's husband is so sweet. He's so talented. And he looks just like... Rick, Rick Moranis. Moranis. He looks just like Rick Moranis, who's such a likable person. Like three times a year, someone will stop him on the street and be, and be like, like, hey, aren't you that guy from yeah. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Yes. No. Yeah, I loved you He's in Strange 20 Bro. years older than me. Like, but Mike is always like, but people Rick remember Moranis, the, they remember the movie star. I know. They like, don't know what he looks like right, now. They, right. Like, they it's just know, funny. like, you're the guy. You, you've, you have not aged a day. I know. We actually, do. <laughs> in season one of Insatiable, we were like, can we get Rick Moranis to play? Oh, my God. The Jewish priest. Oh my god! And then we were like, "Should Mike Ellis just play the Jewish priest?" Oh, I we had him do the line like five times. We're like, "No, you're not an actor. Let's get someone else." Oh my god! I love the idea. <laughs> I would like to see them in the same room. I love that. I really want to see them in the same room. What were you doing out here from 24 to 27? Like, what were you? What were you doing? How were you paying your rent? I, well, so I I moved out here. I got a job as an 80s assistant at Broder Curl and Webb Uffner when it was still a thing before okay. I got absorbed by ICM. Yep. And uh, I was on a desk of two agents, one who was below the line and one who was above the line. Yeah. Um, and it was like a comprehensive education about the television business. And also one of them was male and one of them was female. And okay. so the guy, and I this is, I just recently found out he suddenly passed away, which is really tragic because I haven't talked to him in like yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Um, but he was like, he was only two years older than me, but he looked like he was 40. Yes. And he was like Tony Soprano. Yes. He was amazing. Yes. Um, and she was like Tracy Flick. Yes. And so I kind of was like, this is, I, it was to, I really had to juggle two personalities at one time. That's a vastly different prototype of people to go. Like that is yeah. way different. But also, she's an agent named Janet Carol Norton. I'm giving her a shout out because she's amazing. Hey girl. 
I learned that you could be powerful as a woman without being a bitch. Yes. In Hollywood, which nobody had ever told me before. Yeah. And she really was like very, just smart and on her shit. Yeah. She was amazing. And so that happened. And then... Uh, Were you writing scripts at home? I was writing scripts, but also, to be honest, uh, I moved out here to be a writer. And then I mistakenly got here and decided I moved out here to be skinny. Yes. Like, I just got confused about why I was here. Because I yeah. think it was like I always had body stuff. And the, the thing, I grew up in Chicago, the thing was like, nobody actually looks like they do in movies and TV. And then I moved here and I was like, no, they do here. I didn't have body stuff until I moved to L.A. I was like just, I was just like 30 pounds heavier. Like, it was like, whatever. And then I moved here. I, I lost, I started jogging in college just because I didn't ever want somebody to tell me to lose weight. So I did it. But then I got out and I, you know, I booked a job quickly because I was silly and quirky and different, you know, not not because I was everybody else. Right. And then I remember I got the flu one year and I lost all this weight and I started getting bigger storylines on the show oh I was on. And people, I was, it was just because I had such a high fever, I couldn't walk to the fridge, but it was like unsustainable. And people were yeah. like, I know you're really sick, but you look so great. So I started smoking to try. I mean, it was, I like picked it up like a cold, you know, and then, and then for a little bit, you lose your personality. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I had to get into recovery. Yeah. You know, at yeah. 27. It's like right about the time. I bottomed out in every way at 27. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I decided that. So I wasn't really writing scripts to the degree that I should have been yeah. at that time. Cause I was looking up like diets and right. loss programs it's and distract- gyms yeah. and all that stuff. That is a time year. But um, one of the agent's clients got her first staff writer gig uh and so she wanted to have an ally on the staff you know when you're an agent's assistant you talk to all the clients on the phone yeah all the time yeah and so she got me in to interview for the writer's assistant position and i was the least experienced person but they wanted to hire a female yes and so they hired me and i ended up in the writer's room for birds of prey yes which was like this batman franchise show for the wb when it still existed yes and magically was in a room with a bunch of people who while that show wasn't a big deal yeah they all went on to be massively big deals even though at the time I don't think any of them were really as big of a deal and now they're all huge like in that room was uh Melissa Rosenberg who went on to write the Twilight movies yeah Lita Caligridis who's like the most successful female screenwriter other than Melissa Rosenberg of all time yeah um Eddie Kitsis and Adam Horowitz who created Once Upon a Time yeah Hans Tobiasen, who's run a million things. Yes. Right? Like Adam Armas and Kay Foster, who created a ton of shows. Like, they were all... That's the room you were in. Heavy hitters. And they were all, like, not... Uh, they weren't showrunners at that time. And so um, they taught me to pitch in the room. Eddie Kitsa specifically would ask me, like, when the room had a lull, he asked me, well, what do you... He's like, okay, rookie, what do you think? Oh, my God. And I me had chills. something to say. And then yeah. they were like... Either it was good or it was good but not right, and they would explain why. What a gift. Such a gift. What and, a gift. But also, Eddie Kitsis read my spec script that I had written while I was a broder. Yeah. was like, you're very funny and very talented, and you're not a comedy writer. Interesting. I was like, what? And so he takes credit for my career. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And at the time, he was, you know, you needed more space to tell a really emotionally deep story. Right. So I wrote a six feet under spec, and that got me all my work. Wow. So from there... I went briefly, you know, the show got canceled, and I went briefly to work for a manager, and 10 days into that job, uh, I got a call to be the writer's assistant from Melissa Rosenberg, who had moved on to the OC. Yes. And I was like, I just took this other job, and I realized every single person who was there was dying to get a writer's assistant job, and I had an offer, and I'm like, if there's going to be a bridge that I burn, this is going to be ha- have to be the one. That's right. And so I did. Also, Melissa kind of tore me a new one. She's like, are you kidding? Like, you're going to call and not be ecstatic that I'm offering yeah. you this job? Yeah. I'm like, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah. So I went. And so I spent the first season of the, in, OC. Of the OC, which was like life changing. I mean, <gasps> just in terms of learning so much from all of the, a lot of women in that room, actually. And also Josh is and fantastic. To be on, and to be on a hit, too. Yeah, and Josh, like witnessing the birth of a hit. Also witnessing the birth of teen stardom. Yes. Like I was, I feel like I may have seen the moment where Adam Brody realized he was famous because yeah. we went to some screening at Sharky's in like the South Bay. Yeah. We were in a I car. I love Sharky's. I love Sharky's. We were in the car on the way and a couple, you know, all the writers just jumped into the cars with the actors and everyone was very friendly and he got out of the car and there was like a thousand, a thousand screaming teenagers and I saw the look on his face that was like, oh shit, I'm famous now. I was, Which was magical for me to be like, oh, I think I just saw a seminal yeah, moment you, in somebody's life. Like, I, that's just, cool. I just got chills thinking back. Like, I didn't know going back between season one and season two of Insatiable, like 
because of the, because Netflix is different than traditional net, network where you do a couple and yeah. you start airing and you're still filming. You know, we'd done the entire thing in the privacy of Atlanta. And then I remember going with you and the cast to Instagram and Facebook headquarters and, and we'd already dropped. And like Michael Provost had gotten like, who plays Brick, he'd gotten like a million Instagram followers in like a day. You know what I mean? And I was curious to see, particularly for the the younger cast, a lot of them, it was one of their first jobs. Yeah. You know, the the more veteran people, it's like Debbie's been, if Debbie was going to be a dick, she'd already be a dick and she's lovely. You know, Dallas is lovely. Alyssa is lovely. Like, but I was curious to see if when we came back with all of this, because you can actually have metrics now because you see your followers go up. I d- didn't know if the kids would be different and they weren't they weren't and i so good i also think about part of it is the safety too of filming in atlanta you know Mm -hmm. like that there's like it's just us it's like camp you know it is but i also just think we have a good group of people you haven't picked any jerks like it's it's been a great group of people yeah they i mean it's a magical puppy pile of human beings um and going back to the oc and everything like one of the things like it was interesting has been interesting writing this book because you're sort of for you know you i was just like what i just moved forward you know right. and it was interesting the publisher requested a chapter on like how did you get from this tiny town with a, like a chicken caboose like there's literally a caboose filled with chickens in a field and a general store and no stoplights like how did you get from there to a tv and looking at a lot of the happy accidents and like putting yourself in the right room being totally. Even just being good at photocopying or being reliable, you know, I remember I was an intern at Conan or I worked for a casting director. I worked at Improv Olympic in Chicago, like just being around and being competent. And then all of the talented people that were, that they all go on. And if you just show up and it's a lot, you stake your plan, but then the wind blows. No, it's true. That's what happened. So, so from the OC, uh, I ended up going to a show called North Shore on Fox okay. it was about like it was basically Love Boat in a Hotel love it and the show went early so they cherry picked all the writers from the Fox overall deals so again I was in like a powerhouse of writers on this show that was essentially the Love Boat yes and they were all amazing and they all took me under their wing and then they continued to teach me how to pitch and, and I kind of did a good job at my job like, I happen to be a great writer's assistant because I have perfect oral memory and so I can write down verbatim everything everybody you're says. the fastest typer I've ever seen too and so they liked me. Yeah. And uh, I gave them my spec that I'd written, thanks to Eddie Kitsis, a six feet under, and they all liked it. And so five people in that room had shows that were set to get picked up. Yeah. And none of those shows went. Wow. And I was devastated. It was, my, it was year five of being an assistant. And I was like, I have to go. I, I made a deal with myself. Like, if it doesn't happen in five years, I think I have to leave. Leave LA? Leave LA. And go where? What was I, the I don't, plan I don't know, but I was like, am I really going to keep being an assistant for longer than that? Okay, like, okay. I just kind of, you know, I was a yeah. straight-A student. Like, I don't yeah. wait. Like, if things happen for me. You know what I mean? No, like, I, I just it. was like, No, Come. I get it. Get it done. And uh, I had one more shot because the, the executive producers of North Shore had an overall deal. Yeah. And they just re-upped, and their assistant uh, had to leave because he had a meth addiction. Yeah, great. <laughs> sure. So yeah, that'll do it. they swooped in and were like if you're not going to be the writer's assistant anymore will you be our assistant and I was like okay and uh, it was Chris Brancato and Bert Salke which is uh, interesting for a lot of reasons which I'll tell you in a second and they went to, we moved them to ABC and they were in their overall deal and I was there for two weeks and then one of the writers from North Shore called my boss Bert Salke and Chris Brancato and said Lauren get off the phone because you know assistants listen in to all yeah, the calls yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was like oh shit what did I do or who, what did I say because I'm someone whose mouth goes five miles ha- faster than the rest of me yeah so le- I leap before I look I often say shit I'm not supposed to say that's like my brand me too and so I was like what who did I tell something I shouldn't have told or what did I do that somebody found out about because if you remember that was in my period of time where I was really wildly misbehaving yeah girl so uh <laughs> so I, I got off the phone yeah 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 and I was like uh, I just was like oh my god oh my god oh my god I hope it's just a personal problem like yeah, yeah, between yeah. it because they were friends so yeah, I was like yeah, let's yeah. just pray that somebody's yeah, having yeah. problems in their house yeah 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 but not really you never wish that for no anybody. no no but, a but small like, thing like yeah. I want to fuck the nanny but I'm not yeah. going to right yeah. let's hope it's that yeah let's hope it's that oh I don't know about you but things are getting so hot in here I think I gotta take a pee break. And then 
I see the light go off that the phone's been hung up, and I hear, Lauren, no. get in here. Oh, my God. I'm dying. And I'm like, I, I literally felt all the blood drain I'm out of dying. my face. I'm like I'm so like panicked. Like, I know. I'm so panicked. And I walk in there, and Bert Salky looks at me, and he goes, you need to find another job. Like, you need to find a replacement for yourself, like, yesterday. Oh, and I was like, okay, what happened? And I, I want to die, you know? And he goes, Ken is staffing you on E-Ring. Oh! And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so exciting. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Why did you do that to me? Oh, my and he God. Just thought, he oh thought God. it was the funniest oh thing. Oh, my God. He thought it was so funny. <gasps> oh, my God, Lauren. So it, it turned out, like, I didn't know that that was going to be the guy. It was Ken Biller. He's my fairy godfather. He gave me my first job. Um, and he brought me in on this pentagon military show i'm like i'm a jew from chicago i don't know dick about the military you know yeah 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 yeah. to be the character writer so once again like i'm designated other in the room great which is but that was uncomfortable because i already didn't know what i was doing right you know right right and i just kind of learned to run with it like okay i'm not here to tell military stories i'm here to tell emotional stories so that's what i'm gonna do i like that i heard that as a i'm in my mind i'm like if i have a specialty i'm like i'm needed if i'm needed if they if not if not everybody does what i do that's good news i think it's great but not when it's your first job it was very intimidating of course like i i don't even know if i can keep up but the good news was i because i didn't know i asked a ton of questions Mm -hmm. and one of the guys who co-created the show was actually a former green beret and a marine and all the things and he had spent so much time with the. I, I got on the show late. And so he, he had become very frustrated with writers who said, yes, I understand that's what really happened, but that's not a good story. Mm-hmm. He's like, I literally watched people's brain matter splatter out of their heads. And you're going to tell me that's not a good, like he just was, ve- you know, yeah. understandably like the yeah. guy lived a life. And, yeah. Like how dare you? And so instead I learned to say things like, here's emotionally what we're going for. What would be a good way in that? And, and he, grew very fond of my ability to pull that out and then put it into an emotional context without being disrespectful that's so interesting which was which has helped me enormously because since then i have done a lot of adapting real life stuff to story which is what insatiable is in a lot of ways okay say this one more time make it nice and clear for me so you start with like the emotional truth that you want to tell right and then i say what's a way to get there like how do you back that how do you backfill that and make it real that's awesome so that was really helpful. Um, but then it, it became clear that E-Ring was not going to move forward. And this is back when people were still watching pilots on DVD. Yeah, sure. Uh, the Dexter DVD was floating around. And we all watched it at lunch one day. And I had zero interest in writing a show about a serial killer. Like, I, I was not at the time. Now I am. But at, at the time, I was not obsessed with serial killers. I thought it was, like, too dark. And cop shows were not my thing. And I saw the pilot, and I was like... This is a dark comedy. Yeah. This is my favorite thing I've ever seen. I couldn't, from the moment that he murders someone and then you hear really fun, happy Miami music. Yes. And he's on the boat and he's so happy. I was like, oh, this is my jam. Like, I couldn't stop laughing. I was so surprised about it. Yes. I was like, I have to get on the show. And I did. And I was there for eight years. And somewhere in there, it was pretty clear I was going to get fired because they had changed showrunners and the showrunner did not like me. And I had to write my way out of jail. And so I wrote a pilot I wrote a spec pilot and then that person ended up getting fired off the show so I stayed on Dexter yes but you but you had the pilot pilot, and uh eventually that got set up at Ryan Murphy's company and then Ryan and I did a pass on it together and we did it at HBO and we thought the thing was going to go and that didn't go but while I was waiting to find out what was going to happen with that show uh CBS reached out with an article called the pageant king of Alabama which is amazing about a man named Bill Alverson who oh, yeah. pageant girls. Who's spectacular. Who's spectacular. And I read it and like my face exploded and I was like, I have to do this thing. Do you still start your writing process from like, is your gen, like, does it usually start with a, the emotional core and then you worry about the plot? It, it's different every time. Yeah. It's really, really different every time for me. I wish I had like, also because I have, I haven't worked with a ton of people, but the people who I have worked with have influenced me greatly. And so every single person I have worked with has a different approach. Yeah. And I have to say, working with Ryan was, like, life-changing. Ryan Murphy was life-changing. Because he's with he's all about, like, the big story event. Yeah. And because I was all about emotion, yeah. I wanted to tell the very detailed emotional beats of the story. And we wrote we were writing scripts like we were breaking stories in the writer's room and he walked in and there was a whole episode two after the pilot that i felt was so emotionally important like it was 
it was the heart of the matter of everything that the characters were going through in the show. And he walked in and he sat down and said, I'm bored. We can literally pull this entire episode out and jump right to episode three. And I was devastated and I was convinced he was wrong. And then I read episode one next to episode three. And I was like, he's totally right. He's 100% right. And that was like devastating and eye-opening. And that's part of the reason why on Insatiable, the story chews the furniture. Because I realized how valuable that is. You told me that he taught you don't hoard your story. No. Don't hoard your plot. Burn like it. just burn it. burn it and that you'll and to trust that you'll come up with more. Yeah. I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, but it's interesting because it's the it's in a lot of ways the opposite of the way that I was raised in the business. Yeah. And so I think it's hard to juggle which way to go back to. So sometimes now I I like think of the big moments and then I figure out a way to backwards engineer why the emotion makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But um a lot of the writers in our room go the other way that I I used to do, so it's always interesting to be reminded like, oh, right, that's also totally helpful. And, you know, this this year I hired a guy who was on Dexter with me almost the entire time. And he's like, where did the theme and emotion, Lauren, go? Like, you're all like incident, incident, incident Yeah, now. and you're like, I, she worked with Ryan Murphy. I, I'm like, thank you for reminding me because on Dexter, he was all incident, incident, incident. And I was like, but wait, right. what's the theme? What's Dexter's emotional right. journey? He's like, I don't understand what's happening. I feel like we've switched places. And it's it's so beautiful. That's why long relationships are so helpful. Because he was like my brother. Yeah. And the ab- the ability to do that was so wildly helpful. When I hear just, just knowing about the show and just hearing about your process too, like what a gift probably that young girl who got burned in seventh or eighth grade like how much in some ways the gift of that original wound a hundred percent I mean I feel like that's where as scary as it is you know like I mean this is gonna sound I mean I truly both of my parents died when I was recording this podcast like I never like doing stand-up and stuff I never ever was honest about I was never very personal on stage and when like life happens and you can't hide it because it's like all of a sudden I'm like I should be in my studio and like I'm in my freaking family den with my brother still doing the podcast like you know one of them was out of the blue one of them wasn't but like to then it was a choice I could have easily just canceled it that week but like the choice of like here's where I am I'm still gonna do it and and I'm not great, but like this is also what helps me get better is like right. I like making things. Right. Um, and then I do believe and you said to me not like but this is sort of what the book is about. Like and in and, and the oddity of it closing, like the book deal closing, you said to me, I just see like butterflies. I see like regeneration <laughs> um, that I think, um, you know. I really feel like the gift of the of like certain things that are so painful when you're going through them, it is like fertilizer for making. I really think creativity is such a healing thing. I think you're right. Yeah. And like without that, with like if you had been nailing it and like having not getting ghosted by those girls, like that original hurt, I think helps in a productive way helps make good, good. A hundred percent art. Yeah, no, because I think that's where my sense of humor ultimately. I mean, I think Me I always had a sense of humor, but like, yeah, I'm never funnier than when I'm angry or sad or hurt. Yeah. Oh my god, my brother and I. The jokes we were making just that weekend are just like nobody else could listen because they're a little dark. Know, but yeah. you're, like, totally. but you're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember even like Debbie gave me a ride. It was like it had happened like ten minutes earlier, and I remember like telling Dad, like, "Oh, it's just as my mom would have wanted." I found out a twer- at a twerking class. You know, it's yeah. like, what the fuck? Like, this just happened. This is right. real. Why are you already doing a bit? Like, right. you need to it's like, ah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm floating. Yeah. Um, what do you wish? And I know you guys have a dinner that you guys are going to, but like, what do you wish you could say to like, I don't know. 14-year-old Lauren or 25-year-old Lauren, like, what do you wish you knew that you know now that you wish you could have known then? Uh, (laughs) That's a really, it's a really challenging question. I mean, to 14-year-old me, poor 14-year-old me. I know, 14's tough, man. You know I look like Barb from Stranger Things. I mean, you've seen it. You've witnessed it. (laughs) I would have I would have said don't be afraid to be who you are. Yeah, um, which is I think what your show is. I think insatiable stuff. Yeah, uh, and that 
not and also don't be so worried about what other people think of you i would say that to me now by the way like 41 yeah. year old one like yeah. stop being so concerned about what other people think yeah like nobody's paying that much attention to you they're always thinking about themselves so you do you and people will figure it out and by the way you walk through like such a storm like so gracefully yeah thank you i'm glad that it appeared to be graceful but like i know that wasn't easy and it you wasn't did. it wasn't um and what would you say to 24 year old lauren <laughs> uh Get your shit together, girl. <laughs> that guy, don't make out with that guy. <laughs> um, or that guy. Yeah. Like, stop emailing that guy. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stop somebody telling know. dirty stories to that guy. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I also think, like, take the time to figure out who you really are. I love that. Because I think I didn't. Yeah. And I think it bit me in the ass a little bit in a way that I had to kind of do it backwards and I, listen I did it the way I had to do it and again like, like the pain you know the, it works the way it's supposed to work I like, think a lot of life is choose your own adventure at a certain point like you have to learn it you learn it by trial and error right right and I I think I don't know it's the, it's weird it's like I, the stuff that I would have gone back and told my 14 year old self is stuff that I still feel like I need to learn yeah it's not like I learned it no, it's me like too. I know now me too you know me too like, you're not the bad guy, and uh, stop obsessing about your food and your body. Yeah. <laughs> which I still need to hear. Mad TV helped me with that. They kept throwing everybody in bikinis, and everybody would cry. And I remember just going, I'm not trying to be a bikini model. I'm just going to worry about if I'm funny and just, like, trust the wardrobe people. Yeah. Because I really hated how I looked, and I was just like, I can't hate myself anymore. I'm, I'm done. I, I wish I wish I were done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I can be mean to my face, but I'm nicer to my body. Yeah. I also think, like, you're cuter than you think you are and, like, go out and have more fun with that. Yeah. That would have been a nice thing to do. Like, yeah. I look at pictures of myself at 24. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, I'm never going to be that young again. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Ever. It's so depressing. Yeah. It's so depressing. But then I think about, like, 65-year-old us is going to look back on us now and think that. Yeah. I'm going to end with two bachelor-related questions. Great. You're on. You're at the bachelor mansion for a bachelorette or a bachelor, whoever. What outfit do you wear getting out of the limo first night? Your what is your? I pick a bad. I have a bad outfit. Debbie said she would wear menswear. I say oh, I that's would, a great. De- Debbie wins. Debbie I mean. wins. I say I would wear like a. I would get panic and I would do like a mullet dress. Like I would do like it'd be like Regina in the pilot. Right. I fear I would panic and have like a short in the front, but then I'd want to yeah. be formal, so I'd have something in the back. See, I don't watch. I don't watch the restaurant. It's okay. What would you? But if you're going like on a date, if you had to go like to a singles cruise and you like, what is your? I would wear. I would wear a jumpsuit, and it may or may not have sequins. On it that's because great. it depends on how dressy it needs to be that's like, a great I, call. I feel like a jumpsuit all right so you are not a bachelor watcher here's your final question which one of these is not so they put up they would say like lauren gus is showrunner writer like they put a little chiron about what somebody's job is which one of these was not a profession of somebody on the show oh my god chicken enthusiast <laughs> sloth tickle monster crybaby Social media participant, lawyer, jumbotron operator, or Canadian? Which was fake? Chicken enthusiast, sloth, tickle monster, crybaby, social media participant, lawyer, jumbotron operator, or Canadian? Which one is fake? Tickle monster? That's actually real. Crybaby was fake. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, crybaby. But the rest of them were acts of were people's careers. Yeah. That's so depressing. The Tickle Monster was also like a pediatrician, which was Ooh, like the creepiest. Yeah, that, that felt like a like, really. How was that a career? He, how was that a career, Anna? How did he, why was he the, t- yeah, he liked to like tickle people. He didn't last very long. He didn't last very That's long. Gross. Yeah, it was super gross. Um, Lauren, I, may I say I love you? Is that inappropriate? Can I, I say that I love you? I love you <laughs> And I'm just like, I just, I appreciate you opening up your heart's to us via Insatiable and then also you coming in and, and doing this with Thanks me. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. It was fun. Um, and I'm going to get your friend Stephen on some, when he comes back to Los Angeles the and fa- we can promote... Mr. The very fancy and talented Stephen Sater. Yes, who wrote Spring Awakening. He's going to come promote his book. And if you want to pre-order my book on Amazon, <laughs> guys, I'm dying to... I want to be a New York Times bestseller. Rumor has it you need to sell 8,000 copies. 
if I was rich, I'd pay you all back, but I'll, I will sign anybody's copy. If you just pre-order it, you'll forget you ordered it, but then it arrives. Apparently, it's all about pre-sales. It's Is called, that right? It's all about pre-sales. It's all about pre-sales. Little Miss Little Compton. You can pre-order it now on Amazon. Um, Lauren, thank you so much. Thanks, Art. And listeners, we'll be back. Bye. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gonna get all up in you tonight. Gonna feel so good. When you accept this rose, when you accept this rose into your world, will you accept this rose into your world? Will you accept this rose is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.